Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing energy matters in an informal setting. While 2022 may be firmly behind us, we are not out of the energy crisis yet. In order to accelerate the growth of green energy, Europe requires massive investments into wind and solar, for instance. But will interventions into the continent's wholesale energy markets scare off investors? And what kind of long-term changes to market design can we expect to see from the European Commission? Helping me, Richard Sverson, to discuss these issues and much, much more is Christian Ruby, Secretary General of Euroelectric. A warm welcome to you, Christian, and welcome back to the pod. Thanks. Um, I'd like to start off really by by talking about 2022. It was quite an unprecedented, bit of a crazy year. How would you evaluate uh, the past 12 months, uh, Christian? Well, the year just gone. Yeah, it was definitely unprecedented and it was definitely also quite crazy. Um, I've been, uh, of course, presenting a lot and and, and giving a lot of analysis and and thoughts about what was going on. And and what was just so stunning was was, uh, the level of of pretty much everything. Uh, Most importantly, perhaps the level of complexity that we've seen. We already had a quite... uh, complex situation in the energy sector, a massive uh, systemic transformation going on, uh, lots of different challenges, uh, COVID just behind us. But this then with, um, of course, uh, the unprecedented price levels, uh, the unprecedented amount of uh, political interventions has just, uh, you know, taken things to a completely new level of, of, of complexity. Mm. Did anything surprise you? Well, I got to be honest and say that uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine did surprise me. I think in hindsight, uh, and if uh, people had been looking closer, uh, maybe we should have been better at, at seeing the signs of, of, of that uh, coming on. Uh, but uh, it did surprise me uh, that it took this uh, shape that it did. And, um, and from there on, well, uh, I think we've seen... Um, the consequences of that, uh, none of which we could have predicted since we didn't predict the invasion in in the first place. Um, But I would say that even if we disagree with a lot of what policymakers have been doing, there's also been an honest attempt at at doing the right thing. It's just when things have to happen this fast, um, you you inevitably make some mistakes. and, And that's basically where we're at today. Mm. I'd like to to, to to return to those um, those issues a bit later on, uh, Christian. But if I can start by you know, or can follow up on on twenty twenty three, are we now out of the woods? I mean, are we you know, is is the energy crisis over now, or are we still in the middle of it? Would you say we're definitely still in the middle of it? Uh, I think what we're experiencing right now is a very welcome hiatus. Um, we're seeing a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, steam go out of the prices because we have better weather than we had anticipated. Uh, we've been able to bring back online some capacity also in the power sector. Uh, and some of the emergency uh, interventions are st- uh, starting to kick in. And here I'm especially thinking about uh, the energy efficiency measures that were um, uh, that, that were put out by the commission. So um, we are in a slightly better situation now than I had uh, dared hope for, uh, but we're by no means out of the woods yet. And um, my focus is very much on um, uh, making sure that we don't uh, have a critical situation next winter. Mm. And what, what, 
what needs to happen to ensure that doesn't happen then, uh, Christian? Well, we need to get uh, the policies uh, going uh, to, to allow for increased deployment of renewables. We need to take more seriously energy savings and energy efficiency. And then we need to make sure that we don't mess up the entire investment environment. And there's a real risk of that. So those would be the key points I'd make here. Absolutely. Um, so you, you've mentioned the, the the unprecedented market interventions. I mean, I'm, the intention there is obviously to shield energy users, both households and industrials, from these very very high prices. Uh, but what what what's your evaluation of of the the policies that have come both at national and at uh, EU level, Christian? Well, as I said, um, when, we, uh, when we're acting in the midst of a war situation, and there is a war, uh, the EU is not directly involved, but uh, we're supporting one part in a very, very brutal, ferocious uh, uh, war that's going on right uh, in the, uh, let's say, in the back garden of, of, of the EU. And um, in such a situation, uh, speed is of, of, of essence, and, and therefore policymakers are acting with speed and also making some mistakes inevitably. I would say, you know, if we take the big chunks here, um, the Repower EU was an honest attempt at saying, how do we deal with such a situation? How do we get ourselves weaned off um, our dependence on fossil fuels from Russia uh, before 2030. Um, the plan, as it's been laid out, is extremely ambitious. Uh, and, you know, just to uh, look at one indicator, we're basically roughly around half uh, the pace of uh, renewable deployment that we should be in order to deliver on this plan. So it is extremely ambitious. It's also the right direction, uh, by and large, I would say, uh, with uh, accelerated renewables, accelerated electrification. In my view, there's too much focus on, on hydrogen, which is not energy efficient uh, and, and hence uh, potentially dangerous in, in such a situation. But okay, so be it, we also need the hydrogen, but, but perhaps a bit for later rather than here and now. So the Repower EU, uh, I would say check. Um, then we had the power market intervention where I feel that um, this was really done uh, too much in a rush. Um, on the one hand, I understand the political intention of saying uh, we need to avoid that uh, that we pass through absolutely crazy prices uh, to to uh, to customers, or at least that we offset absolutely crazy prices, and uh, that that people uh, don't uh, let's say cash in war dividends. What, in my view, is misunderstood about the whole thing is that who is cashing in war dividend right now? That's oil and gas. It's not electricity. We have a gas problem and we mess up the electricity market. That's what concerns me and bothers me around the entire power market intervention we did. And then uh, the last piece uh, that we've been calling for for a long time, an intervention uh, to basically avoid, uh, you could say, war dividend uh, in, in, in the gas sector. We saw finally, after a lot of discussions, uh, I think it was on the 19th of December that they passed um, this this uh, emergency intervention against uh, runaway gas prices. I would say it was better than what was initially tabled by the commission, but it's still a proposal that will not make a difference for what matters to us, which is power prices. The level they cap uh, the gas prices at is so high that it's not going to have any effective positive impact on how prices are formed in the power sector. How about the, the windfall taxes on, on utilities? What, what's your view here, Christian? Well, so, so the windfall taxes was the second piece I was talking about. 
which was uh, this power market intervention where they said uh, a revenue on caps. Um, the fundamental issue here is that uh, it does not change prices, uh, but it basically sets a cap on how much uh, a, an individual generator can earn, depending on which technology he's operating. What that does is that it creates some very, very serious distortions in the market. And what it also does is that it basically rips apart the member state level from the EU level because the regulation as it ended up said, well, you need to do something at EU level, which is uh, the, the 180 cap. And apart from that, anybody can do anything they want. So essentially you're creating, you're institutionalizing a huge fragmentation with that piece of of emergency legislation, so um, it's concerning, and um, and uh, it's concerning that uh, that it might stay. Mm. So you think it might stay longer than you know? It might just be a temporary blip, but could be could be extended for for several years. Do you think? Well, that's that's uh, the concern we have because um, there is a sunset clause in there, and and there is the idea that there's a possibility to extend it as a emergency measure, but more concerningly, we're seeing discussions, uh, thoughts expressed by the commission to basically uh, basically install this kind of thinking in the structural market reform that they're, um, that they're considering right now. Do you find that the, the commission listens to your views here, Christian? You know, they've taken on some of the some of the measures that are proposed from from France and Spain, um, in, in regards to to, to the, the gas prices and the way that the, the the wholesale price is is set, but do you find that they are they are open to to hear your views and from that of the uh, of the utility sector, the electricity sector? Well, you know, um, I think uh, as I said, when you're doing emergency legislation, I think it's fair enough to act uh, in in the context of an emergency. I think when it comes to whether the whether the commission is truly listening to the industry or not, uh, the proof is still in the pudding, and and, and that's uh, going to be let's say the uh, the structural market review. If they do not listen to the industry here, they will do so at their peril. Um, and and why am I saying that? I'm saying that because. What's really at stake here is the energy transition that is 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 something that's dear to my heart, but definitely also a very, very prominent political project in the EU. And you just have to be honest and say that project will go nowhere without investors, right? You cannot create a state uh, uh, state controlled energy transition. You, I mean, you cannot see states hire thousands of engineers to build wind turbines. You need to work with private companies. And if you destroy the investment environment, you are not going to succeed with the energy transition, full stop. Mm. And you think that's what's happening here, is that uh, investors are being scared away from uh, the policy measures at both EU and, and national level? Well, as I said, the proof is still in the pudding. The jury is out on this, right? Mm. <laughs> if, uh, if they mm. mess up uh, the structural reform of the electricity market, I'm convinced that investors will be scared away. We've got these kind of short-term temporary interventions, uh, but at the same time, we are, you know, the the the, the European Commission is preparing uh, a more long-term market design. I mean, what are your um, hopes or fears even for, for such a market design, uh, Christian? My primary fear is that um, it is being led by political panic. 
Look at how prices have evolved now. We're seeing uh, power prices, day ahead prices, you know, 60, 70, 80 euros across the continent. Does that really merit a fundamental overhaul where you throw all the old rules out the window? Absolutely not. Um, and what we are seeing from the commission, which is very concerning, is that they're saying we don't have time to do an impact assessment. This is a huge uh, deviation from the way that the commission is supposed to work, right? They're supposed to find out what will happen if we make this legislation. And they're saying, well, we don't have time for that. That is dangerous. The next thing is that, um, well, right now we have a whole bunch of ideas flying around, but, but fundamentally, if you don't assess them, if you don't find out what is the impact of what you plan to do, uh, it, that comes with a whole bunch of risks. Um, some of the ideas that we're hearing about, um, we like, frankly, uh, and it's something that we've been saying uh, time and again, long-term investment signals. We uh, do think a, a majority of people in the sector think that um, the short-term market is insufficient in terms of investment signal to, to plan 20, 30, 40 years investments. So long-term investment signals is a good thing. And this is something that has been sort of taken on. Then some of the other ideas that are flying around, like essentially expropriating uh, hydro and nuclear plants and um, and making huge retroactive changes as being uh, proposed by the Spaniards. Well, again, that's just the recipe for disaster. So um, so there's, uh, there's a very sort of fateful moment right now where things can go terribly wrong and things can work out quite well. But are you... But you're saying it, the market's not broken, so so do, does it need any tweaks at all, would you say, Kristen? Yeah, we're saying um, the market is not broken, but it's not perfect either. Um, that goes with any sort of regulatory framework. You need to continuously look at it, review it, and see what needs uh, improvement. Uh, but we're taking an approach where we're saying we need an evolution rather than a revolution. Evolution is good because um, we need to make sure that we continue to attract those 80 to 100 billion euros of annual investments in order to deliver on the transition. If we get a radical disruption in the medium and long term, and we already have in the immediate term uh, a, a disruption through the emergency legislation, I mean, why would investors throw a whole bunch of money at this sector? Why would they not just go to the U.S. where they have the Inflation Reduction Act or go to Asia or other places? We need to be honest and frank about the fact that um, you really can scare off investors with, with a lot of regulatory uncertainty and a lot of retroactive changes. And what about the marginal pricing model? Do you think that um, needs, needs changing? Well, we think that the marginal pricing model is very, very good for dispatch. Um, basically, what that does is it says which plant uh, can produce the cheapest megawatt hour tomorrow. That's a great tool, um, and we need that. But in order to get gigantic investments going in storage, uh, get big investments going in backup plants that won't be running a lot of time in order to get investments going in unprecedented amounts of renewables we also need longer term investment signals we've been saying this over and over for years and i mean look at where things get built and why things get built people build a lot of um offshore wind because they are 
There are very clear uh, contracts for difference that back that up. People build where they see a very clear and well-defined remuneration and return on their investment. Um, and that's the fundamental principle that we think should be honored uh, and, and uh, respected in, in, in a reform. And it can, frankly, improve. We also think that, you know, in this situation, uh, we've, we've seen that, um, you know, as strong as the short-term market is for dispatch, it is also a mechanism that is vulnerable if someone makes uh, a very deliberate attempt at disrupting uh, the European energy supply. And uh, this is what we're facing today. And, and from a political perspective, it's fair to say, you know, we don't want another Putin to be able to, you know, reach into the pockets of European citizens in the future. So how do we make this system more robust? Uh, and we think that the uh, solution to that is uh, to provide a better choice of long-term and short-term uh, signals in the um, end-use customer bill. That would basically give people a better choice of how exposed they are and um, and uh, empower the customer more than they are today. So what you mentioned hydrogen or green hydrogen uh, Christian what what are your concerns here um well it's it's a very practical matter frankly um well we all know that hydrogen will be needed for the transition in places where direct electrification won't cut it right so um we need to create carbon neutral hydrocarbons frankly uh we need to create energy carriers uh that can power um maritime transport um airplanes and the like we also know that every time you produce a unit of hydrogen, um, you are using a lot of energy for that. Uh, you're using, you're losing actually 40% of the energy that you put into an electrolyzer right up front. And then afterwards, you have a lot of challenges about how that's going to be transported around. So whereas hydrogen is essential, it is also something that's very valuable and quite expensive, frankly. So we need to think very carefully about where we use it, how we use it. And, and very practically speaking, I mean, in a situation where we need to ramp up uh, the use of uh, renewables, the use of heat pumps, a rollout, a completely new transport system uh, for passenger cars, we are also taking some resource away by building a hydrogen bank and, and stuff like that. Um, at least that's what I hear uh, concerns about inside the commission that, that, uh, there really is a gigantic focus on hydrogen, whereas we actually also need, uh, or we're short of off takers for hydrogen for the moment. We're still building this. It takes time. It is not a crisis tool. It is a medium and long term tool. Mm, it's not exactly that, that, that magic potion that, uh, that, uh, will, will sort of, um, work its wonders. But what, um, is there also a danger here, Christian, in, in this period we're in now of locking ourselves into to fossil fuels? You know, you're talking, you know, long term LNG contracts, you know, um, coal fired plants are, are, are back now operating fully. Is, is this a concern? There's definitely a risk of lock in. And uh, as I said, the complexity has risen to new levels because, um, uh, I mean, we did see, uh, you know, Russia as a partner for the transition to provide, you know, reasonably priced uh, uh, natural gas as as a transition fuel. Um, but it is just 
irresponsible to 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 put any trust in Russia today, and 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 therefore I am fully uh, supportive of of the idea of of really uh, you know weaning ourselves off any supply of Russia as soon as possible. But that still leaves the question: How the heck are we then going to power Europe's citizens and Europe's industries? And it has confronted us very uh, clearly with this situation that we are really dependent on trading partners for a lot of our energy, and we probably need to change that. So what can we do here to avoid that energy independence becomes a lock-in on fossil fuels? First of all, we need to revisit the whole issue of energy savings, energy efficiency. We need to take a much more, a much more ambitious approach to this. We, we all have these uh, experiences all the time for the moment. You know, you fly over Europe and all the lights are on and you're like, okay, what energy crisis? Um, or, you know, you, you go to the, to the local uh, swimming pool and all the saunas are on still. And, and you're like, how is this possible if, if we really have this gigantic crisis? So we need to revisit the way that we use energy in society and um, we need to use a, a lot less of it. We need to look at what kind of industrial base we want to have in Europe and see how we can make sure that that industry actually thrives because a lot of the industry we have today really needs a lot of energy. So how do we, let's say, first of all, save energy wherever we can? Secondly, how do we, let's say, share energy between those different uses that we we have in society, those needs we have in society, competitiveness, uh, the daily use of, of energy for all kinds of purposes, the powering of hospital and fu- uh, fundamental uh, functions of society. Uh, there is a debate that, that will come here. And, and then again, we also, of course, have this question, how the heck do we now, uh, let's say, speed up to, to, uh, to, to really reach the pace that, that has been set out in the plans we have? How do we match that with action on the ground? Because that's not happening for the moment. Yeah, that that was going to be my my next question. There, Christian is like, I mean, it's been it's been very impressive the way Europe has over the course of eight to ten months replaced Russian gas. Um, but what would you like to see in terms of accelerating the energy transition? What needs to be done to to green uh, Europe and and to wean ourselves off the, the these fossil fuels? Well, you know what, I think that we now have a lot of legislation in place uh, at EU level. We still need to, to sort of close all the dossiers uh, that are part of the Fit for 55 package uh, because that really sets a, a good framework for all the things that need to happen. Um, but specifically about renewable deployment, which uh, remains a major challenge. I think last year we uh, were successful in deploying some 15 gigawatts of um of wind energy in Europe, well, it should have been double, you know? So, I mean, how do we get that going? I don't think it's as much about EU policy anymore as it is about uh, member state uh, policy, member state will to do it, and um, and also uh, local municipalities, regions, that they get their act together now, that we get the zones defined as have been laid out in the uh, Renewable Directive, uh, those uh, go-to zones that we get stuff done on the ground that we um, do not allow or that we remove the obstacles that are in the way of uh, the actual 
construction of the projects. Is is permitting still an issue, Christian? I mean, uh, you know, the the local opposition to to wind farms specifically uh, is that still a a, a problem? I want to give credit uh, to the commission for all the work that's been done to speed up permitting. Uh, there are new provisions in the renewable energy directive that are really helpful in my view, and there's also a, a new uh, set of emergency measures that that are good. We still have a backlog, if you will, that pertains to existing projects. How do we get those going? They're not, let's say, covered by any of those two uh, legislative elements I, I was talking about. So there's still a bit of homework, but but um, where the real sort of challenge with permitting lies today is uh, that we need to see that legislation now be respected, okay? Because, um, you know... I know developers that that are you know really interested to build big solar plants, for instance, uh, and they're still talking to the municipality. It doesn't really seem that the municipality has realized that that a lot of legislation has been passed at EU level. Um, they're still like, yeah, we're considering it, and uh, there is this other piece of legislation that stands in the way. You can't build here, you can't build there, blah 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 blah, um, and. This is the kind of bureaucracy, this is the kind of complacency we need to do away with uh, once and for all. Otherwise, we're just not going to get there. Christian, um, I think you, you, you've probably got a very busy year ahead of you, sir, but uh, thanks very much for, for finding time to, to, to join us on the, on the podcast this week. My pleasure. So listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Monto Weekly Podcast. Please direct message any suggestions questions or you know let us know if you if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show you can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com lastly remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on montel news you can subscribe on apple podcasts and spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from thank you and goodbye